We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Friends, this is God's word. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gathered us here this morning and give us your Holy Spirit to illumine this, your very word to us. Father, would your spirit bring us into the presence of Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and resurrected, whom we need, who gives grace as we receive it by faith. So whether we are here this morning, O Lord, happy or sad, full of faith or bereft of the same, Jesus, thank you that you are pleased to welcome us with mercy. And would we run to you now? Jesus, we pray for your glory and in your name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're a parent or you know parents, there are various rites of passage that you experience when your kids get a little bit older, a little bit older, a little bit older. And for the most part, they're happy milestones, aren't they? So for example, first step, that's a milestone. Tying shoes for the first time when you've struggled through a season of, no, I can do it myself, but then they can't do it, then you reach to do it, and they say, no, I can do it myself, but they can't, and it's this weird back and forth, but then they can do it, and it's awesome. When a child of yours gets housebroken for the first time, that's a day of rejoicing, very significant milestone. My kids are a little bit older, so a milestone like reading is in the rearview mirror, or that was very exciting at the time. They get a little bit older, their first razor, if you're into that sort of thing. That's another milestone. First dance, first driver's license. All big, significant milestones. And those are happy ones, but in the Anger family, unplanned, unscripted, with, I have four kids, all four of my kids, this happened to me with each of them when they were in lower elementary school. Happened like this. One after another, first grade, second grade, third grade. When I was doing prayer and Bible story with them before bed, with each on a certain night, before they'd sign off for the night, there'd be this quiet and they'd get pensive and seem a little forlorn. And then they'd ask, Dad, I get sad sometimes. Do you get sad sometimes? And I say, yes, I do. Then they'll go on and say, Dad, I get really sad sometimes. Do you get really sad sometimes? I say, yes, I do. And then, Dad, I look around, and it seems like everything is sad sometimes. Do you think everything is sad sometimes? And I say, yes, I do. 
there is a lot of sadness out there. And they verify. The pain is real. Sadness is real. Tears are real. And this is for a family, and I'm not saying this in a weird, braggy way, but just descriptively. Angers, the anger family, we don't have it that bad. My, my kids, majority culture from me, we, we've never been scraping pennies together in some abject, like we got nothing way. We've, we've been fairly secure. But all that is to say, even in a situation like that, the pain and the sadness and the reality are real. Well, there were high or low, north, south, east, or west around the world. It is, right, a sad world. And for my own kids, I wish, I wish, I wish that it weren't so that I could shield them one way or another, protect them from what's out there and from what's in here, but I can't. We can't protect our kids, but yet we can prepare them. Whether for kids or grown-ups or for anyone, I believe that the best preparation the best buffering against the sad world that is very and all too real is to know the Holy Scripture. It's to dig deep into God's Word where we find there our Creator, our Redeemer, the good author of all of this, including here this morning from Psalm 126. And I should mention that this sermon here from Psalm 126, this is the first of a two-parter. It would be ideal if I'd be back next week and do a back-to-back. I'll be back on August 13th for part two. But it's okay. You can wait for it once we get to part two in just a little while. But Psalm 126 here, this is a song of lament. And there's a repeated phrase in a couple different ways from verse 1 to verse 4. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev, a part of the ancient Near East, dry and arid, cracked most of the year. But every so often, there is this deluge. We've had some pretty big rains here in the region over the past couple of weeks, right? Flash flood, and instantly the Negev becomes green. Lord, restore us. In a psalm like that, a psalm like this, the tears are real, but so is the joy. And so here's the question that we're going to ask for the couple of Sundays that will be in this psalm. What do you do when it gets sad? What do you do when you're dry? And this is nothing less than an invitation from the living Lord. The reality is right now, until Jesus comes back, when the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, like we sing in this song, 
and he makes all things new, and a new heavens and new earth is here to stay. Until that day, things are going to stay sad. That's not going to change. But what can change is we. We can change. We can focus. And we can receive from the Lord. So two parts for the rest of the sermon from here. Going to look at a couple pairs of options. So as we think about what do we do when it gets sad, how do we deal with it? Well, we're going to look first at forgetting versus focusing, and then fortune versus faithfulness. Forgetting versus focusing, fortune versus faithfulness. Psalm 126 here is, as it gives us in the superscription, the little thing that's written above Psalms and most of our English Bibles, it is a song of ascents. And there are 15 of them from Psalm 120 in the Psalter, the ancient hymn book of God's ancient people, the Israelites, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. So you can think of these songs of ascents as road mixes for a road trip. Whenever you go on a road trip somewhere, and maybe you've done some of these things this summer, if you're like me, you put together a mix of what you're going to listen to because you don't want to be sitting there right when you hit the turnpike, flipping through Spotify when you should be concentrating on the road. You need to plan ahead of time. And if you're like me, who did a road trip somewhere and back recently, you listened to from the Bruce Springsteen Archive series, June 1993, on the way out, and then September 2016, Pittsburgh, it's the Meadowlands on the way out, 93, Pittsburgh on the way back. If you did that, those two shows recently, you are my best friend. But these are the songs that would be sung by Israelite pilgrims making their way periodically throughout the year to Jerusalem. And one of the things that's intriguing to me, again, about these songs of ascents, these 15 psalms, they're not all the same. They're pretty different from one another. They strike lots of different moods, lots of different themes, which also makes sense if you've ever been on a road trip before, either with friends or family. Sometimes you're happy in the car. Sometimes you're sad in the car. Have you ever had the experience of being on a road trip with friends or family? And right at the beginning of the drive, you get in a knockdown, drag out, nasty fight with another person in the car. It ends poorly, but then collectively, you get this sinking feeling wow, I am going to be spending the next eight hours next to this person. I've heard that that happens sometimes in families. So, all of these different sorts of moods including a sad one for Psalm 126. Many scholars consider this a psalm of lament, lamenting for God, and it's there. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Fine print, although it's not that small. We're praying that our fortunes would be restored because we are in a really bad way right now. What do you do when it gets sad? And we have these two either-ors for this Sunday, and then again on August 13th, we're going to do another two. And I'm treating them as four different pairs of door number one and door number two, the first of which, common tendency and our cultural moment, and then also an invitation from the Creator. So if it's forgetting versus focusing, common tendency, culturally speaking, focusing. That's an invitation from God. 
relying on fortune, common tendency, or relying on God's faithfulness. That's the invitation from God. What do you do when it gets sad? Door number one, forget. Avoid, 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 avoid. Whether it's a mental health issue, a spiritual issue, a family issue, a job issue, a financial issue, a concern about our world issue, it's there, it's big, it's bad, but I'm going to do everything that I can to avoid, to escape, to numb out. Liberty Collingswood, we talk about the big three of surfing, scrolling, and binging. That's what we're really good at. And you don't have this in Pennsylvania, but in New Jersey, we actually have beaches. So sometimes surfing, we can actually do that literally. You can visit sometime. Uh, but for the most part, most of us will just, you know, surf online couple minutes here, a couple minutes there, a couple hours here, a couple hours there, a couple seasons of our lives here, seasons of our lives there, or just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll, or binging in the means of your choice. Too much food, too much booze, too much substance, too much watching, when it's 2.37 a.m., but the next episode is already loading. I guess I'll just go with it. Shopping, whatever it is, escape, forget, numb. If you're here as a Christian this morning, uh, you have this tendency, I have this tendency, or if you're here as anybody this morning, you have this tendency, I have this tendency. And I think it's easy enough for us to do at most times, but there are some cultural forces, I think, that make it all the easier for us to say, let me just forget about this for a little while. It's not as big of a hashtag, I guess, as it was a couple of years ago, but YOLO, only live once, let's just live for the moment. Or I'm told that one of the most popular artists for young people today, Bob Seger, and the Silver Bullet Band, do you remember the song, We've Got Tonight? Who needs tomorrow? That was mid-70s. But that, that idea is still out there. Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann put it this way. About the focus on now. Our consumer culture is organized against history. There is a depreciation of memory and a ridicule of hope, which means everything must be held in the now, either an urgent now or an eternal now. And I believe that he wrote this, in the 1980s, good thing it's gotten much better since then, about just focusing on the moment. Or, here's a riff on that same idea, we can balance between doom and despair because everything is horrible, and then we go back to forget. I think this is the case when we think about the environment, for example. A lot of discourse, I think culturally speaking, and sometimes including in the church too, where we bounce between cataclysmic and catatonic. Those are our only two modes of thinking about what's going on environmentally in our world. Cataclysmic, everything's going horrible, we're all going to die tomorrow unless Doc Brown invents Mr. Fusion today. We're out as a species. Or let's just go catatonic and say, let's float, let's float, let's float, everything is fine. And that's all we know how to do. 
if some of you watched Mad Men a few years ago, do you remember the title sequence where a silhouette, we assume, of Don Draper, John Hamm, walks into an office, everything is very put together, but then he's free falling out the window, and right when he's about to crash on the ground, he's seated on the couch once again with a cigarette and a drink, everything is fine. Those are the two modes, free fall or numbing out. That's where we are. So personally for you, where are you trying to do that? Where are you ignoring what you shouldn't ignore? Again, relationship, a conversation that you really need to have, but you're just not. Health, a doctor's appointment that you really should schedule, but you don't. Spiritually, a set of thought patterns or behavior patterns where you just need to cut the cord and say, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. But instead, I'm numbing out, escaping, not even knowing that I'm doing it practically when I do it. Financially, when it's probably a good idea to check your credit card bill. I've been there, but it's kind of scary to do that, so you just don't. Or something going on at work where you need to face forward, but you're just not. Forget, forget, forget. And we can be in a situation where we just say, I'm gonna double down on my escaping and numbing out, but how does that work out for us, usually? Pendulum swings that way, and we're just setting ourselves up for a blow up. And if you're like me too often when things blow up, I'm like, what happened? Well, I've been ignoring this way too long, forgetting that it was an issue, and then it blew up because I wasn't dealing with it. That's what happened, Jim. But is there a better way? And there is an invitation from our creator. Instead of forgetting, numbing, escaping, let's focus instead. And this is actually good news. Jesus is called prophetically by Isaiah before Jesus came, our man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. We don't have to run away from our pain. We don't have to ignore our tears. God gives us grace and hope and courage to focus and to let it in. That's what this psalm is doing. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. That's remembrance. Everything, both the good and the bad. We can remember all of it. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, and probably most specifically, this is a reference here to the Israelites having been in exile, but then there's a return. But the language is just general enough that it's easy to universalize it and say, you don't have to literally be a refugee, return to a land to sing a song like this. I remember the tears, and I remember that God showed up in the midst. Or the end of the psalm, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bearing his sheaves with him, being very real about all of the tears. Being able to focus. 
And so the invitation is, if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're not there yet, let this be an on-ramp to you to explore faith, to see if God is real and trust in him a little bit more. God, help me to let it in. God, help me to see. God, help me to remember, to recall, to focus upon what's in front of me without pressing the ejector button, without running away from all of it. And God's grace is so good and the Holy Spirit so real that we can actually look at these things without freaking out. We don't have to be crushed by them. And there is an aspect of following Jesus where we are being given an aspect of divinely helped remembrance. And I think the, the cultural distortion that I sense right now is when it comes to remembrance, all that we're told that we should recall is our trauma, is our pain. That's all that remembrance is good for. Now, Christians need to be people of nuance. If in previous generations, pendulum was in one direction, you know, if bad things happen to you, just forget about it. Be a big boy, be a big girl. Just move past when it's just repress, bury. I wonder if now we're in a position where if all we remember and are told to remember and recall is the bad stuff, where we can actually be overdetermined by our pain. But if you're a follower of Jesus, and even if you've had a really, really difficult time of it, and I want to recognize and affirm that in this room, I'm, I'm sure that some personal, family, people group trauma is actually really, really big. But if that's all you remember, you're missing out on ways in which God showed up in the midst of it and was gracious. Let's focus. So that's forgetting versus focus. And now let's talk about fortune versus God's faithfulness. You might think, well, in a vacuum that might sound okay, but what do you do when the pain is just too much and the tears are too heavy? and have been falling for too long. I don't have the wherewithal to do anything else but numb out for just a little while longer. Or think about the future where all of this is going. I can't. I freak out too much. What actually do I have to depend on as we think about myself, my family, my city, my world spinning forward? What is there that I can hope in? Well, we have two doors. Fortune or God's faithfulness? And by fortune, I mean just luck of the draw. Let's see how this plays out a little bit more. And if you're here this morning not a follower of Jesus, exploring things of faith, I'm not saying this is definitely you, but stereotypically, I know plenty of secular friends and neighbors that would say something like, yeah, if you would ask me at the end of the day, is there God above, hell below, no, all, all that stuff is old myths, and yeah, end of the day again, uh, this is just a random, purposeless universe going nowhere, from nowhere, atoms collide and combine for a little while in some interesting ways, some un un uninteresting, but then they just scatter again, that's all it is. A lot of those same secular friends and neighbors would also affirm something like, yet, everything happens for a reason. 
and I think things are going to work out. I would simply want to observe here that in my estimation, to try to hold together a completely random universe and at the same time say something like everything happens for a reason and things are going to work out well, that requires more of a leap of faith and is more irrational than saying we're not from somewhere randomly, but we're from someone. And there is a good God directing all of these things. That's less of a leap of faith. Still is. We don't see God. But to me, that's a well-grounded and well-founded one, much more than the opposite. But I think not just to seem as if I'm throwing secular people under the bus. That's, that's us as Christians a lot of the time, too. When our functional theology, what we actually live with and live by, is just some vague sense that, yeah, life is pretty chaotic and random, but we just hope that things are going to work out better. But we actually have more hope in that and should live into it and lean into it. But to ask the question this way, what does secularity have to offer us when it comes to hope in the future. And one of the things that we talk about at Liberty Collingswood is what if it's possible that the secularity emperor actually has no clothes? If what seems, because we're inundated with all of these things, logical, rational, makes sense, intuitive, and faith is like the weird thing on the outside where the dots don't connect, what if that's not a function of what's true and reasonable, but just volume and quantity when it comes at us. What do we have to hope in? Well, I think the secular narratives might simply say stuff like, well, let's hope in good job, good people, and good luck. Good job. Whether personally, yeah, life might seem pretty dire, but if I just do a good enough job on various fronts, whether it's professionally or with my family or personally, I'm going to compel circumstances in such a way that things are going to work out good because I'm going to do a good job. Or good people, again, whether it's your own community or your found family, or if you think about, well, there's this political group that I think is going to do a really great job with all of these things. If, if they either get elected or stay in power, everything's going to be fine, or these groups of thought leaders or celebrities or whatever it is. I'll put it this way. I've been a pastor long enough that I feel confident to tell you that if your trust is in other people, that's a really bad idea. Also, if your trust is in yourself, ultimately. Because here's a dirty little secret, people mess up all the time. The Bible says that we're all sinners. Therefore, we mess up all the time. So if our hope is in the goodness of humanity or the march of history leading us into a better place, we are going to be sorely disappointed. Or good luck. Or just throw up our hands, say, who knows how things are going to happen. We just think good luck is going to prevail. That brings us into the King George, well, good luck. It's probably not going to happen. But let's have clear eyes about that set of options and really the hopelessness that's there and instead lean into God's faithfulness instead. 
because the scriptures tell us of an eternal God who created all things and is above the universe, before the universe. And this God is providentially in control and sovereign and lovingly present in the past, in the present, and in the future. As Jim was talking about other Jim, as liturgist, uh, that God, that Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's actually true. And look at the logic or the rhythm of this psalm. There's recollection. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Repetition of the same phrase. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. As we remember, God has blessed and he will bless. That's God's faithfulness. God has blessed and he will bless. So in our pain, God gives us grace to stretch backwards and forwards to be present with him in the mess and the tears and the pain and the now. And this is where we will wrap up. This is even in God's name, Lord. Many of you know this. When you see in the Hebrew scriptures that Lord in all caps, that's communicating that what was originally there was Yahweh. That's just not just any generic name for God. But that's the name that God gave to the Israelites to say that I'm going to be your special God, your covenant God, which is now for all of us in Jesus Christ, the Lord that has shown up in history again and again and again to deliver. It's not a coincidence, I think, in this psalm, in Psalm 126, that in six verses, Lord is used four times remembering God's track record of faithfulness. And like I just mentioned, it's true for us. If before Jesus, the Israelites were told, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. As Jesus has come and is crucified and resurrected, that name, Lord, is shared between God the Father and God the Son when through his crucifixion and resurrection, God gave to Jesus the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, we have them too, cultural idols, Yet for us there is but one God the Father from whom all things come and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And this is the Lord Jesus that died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sin so that our own mess, our own falling short of God's law and God's will, our own causing tears for ourselves and for those around us, Jesus says on the cross, it's finished. Let me take care of that. And as you come to me, you're free from that guilt and that burden. That we would know our creator and redeemer. And recognize both the futility of the escaping, the forgetting, 
the weak sauce trusting that things might work out okay, but instead remembering, looking forward with the lens, with the heart full of knowing a faithful God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.